0: Majestic Father, we come before you in awe of the fact that we have an audience with the highest being in existence. Lord, it's one thing to not have any strikes against us, still be unworthy, but not have any strikes against us and have an audience with you. But not only aren't we worthy, but we've got strikes against us sins that are an offense to your great and holy name. And yet, Lord God, for those of us that are in Jesus Christ, you have nailed those sins to the cross so they are no more. And you've washed us clean. And it's still not like we have any inherent merit within us. But you've given us right standing with you. You've called us into a relationship with you, Lord, we're just blown away, and Father, we just thank you for the church, the bride of Christ, the missionary agent that you're using to proclaim the glory of your Son, and the forgiveness of sins that's available through him and him alone. May everyone who comes to this facility and gathers with we, your people, never get it twisted about the need that this world has for the grace of God as seen only in Jesus Christ because only in Him is their life. And in a world that is twisting facts up, in a world that is getting the story all botched up, We pray that we will be faithful in proclaiming the exclusivity of salvation being in none other than Jesus the Christ. And that people will get it. Open their eyes. We want to see people light up as they finally, by your goodness and grace, get it. And are able to articulate that they understand that they were lost without Jesus. And that the rest of the world is lost without Jesus, as cruel as that may seem to some. The goodness is seen in you raising up the body of Christ worldwide to proclaim Jesus is Lord. And that men and women can come to him in faith and have access to the Father. Father, bless the word of God right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We recently got finished. Our series in Galatians where we were talking about living in light of the gospel. And um, so in between as we transition uh, last week, I just wanted to reemphasize a distinctive of our church and that is us believing in our call to be missional uh, minded individuals or missional Christians. And we describe that As us understanding our personal and our corporate identity as those that God has invaded only to send us out and to use us to communicate his intention to get glory for himself by snatching out a people from the cracks and crevices of society cleaning up their acts, invading them with his spirit, then sending them as his missionary agents, much like he sent his son to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, the king is in your midst, and I'm him. Well, now the church takes the baton. When Jesus Christ ascended, he said, go. When the spirit of God comes, you'll have power to be my witnesses. You'll go to your jobs, you'll go to your schools, you'll go to your blocks, and you will proclaim that I am the one that people need in order to be saved. Well, buying into that, we wanted to leverage, had a twofold purpose. I wanted to get into the Old Testament since we don't spend as much time in the Old Testament as we do the New uh, up until this point. So we want to expose us to how God has consistently talked like this throughout all of Scripture. So we got into a classic from the Old Testament in the book of Judges. We're going to go back there today. Uh, We're looking at the character of Gideon, who provides a great backdrop for understanding God's intent to call people on mission with himself, empower them for mission in spite of their inadequacies, in spite of their frailties, in spite of their fears, and in spite of their frustrations, and actually get victory for himself and for his name through us. So if there's any puny people in the building, this is for you. By way of recap, last week we are talking about if you buy into the fact that God has called a people to be his missional agents, then it starts with, and it assumes you bought into the fact God always starts with a context. God always has a context in mind when he crafts and sends people. So he says, look, The book of Judges lets you know from the outset stuff is screwy. Everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. Everybody is tripping. A generation has passed that knew God and obeyed him under Joshua. A new generation arose that didn't know God, wasn't feeling him, didn't perk up at the mention of him, couldn't recount the stuff he did for them. And so it was in that context, the Bible says, so God began to put them into a bind where they would have to cry out to them. So Israel would go into bondage. It was then that God took it upon himself to raise up the deliverance. And as long as those military deliverers were doing their thing, people began to sort of remember God again. Oh, yeah, that God, the one that just got us out of the bind. But when they died, people just started cutting the fool again. And the cycle continued. We got to one where we said, if chapter 2 provided a context for the whole book of Judges... By the time you get to chapter 6 and we start looking at Gideon, it provides us with 10 verses that gives you a context because that's going to let you know the significance of the story of Gideon. So we said this assumes a context that all of us must embrace in a specific sphere where we plan on seeing God use us and the people we're in connection with to change. You ought to not just walk through life just blaring out Jesus stuff, but you ought to strategically focus and channel all that God places in you on behalf of some situation or some people. That's exactly what God has always done. So we assume the context. We also said so... If we're going to buy into this as a church, if we're going to remember, we're not called to just like praise and worship. We're not called to just like getting together and playing spades and dominoes. Like We're called to be on mission. Those things are peripheral items that we enjoy, but we're committed to missionality. We see a context. It's the urban. We see a context. It's streets much like the one we're on in surrounding regions. We see a broader context. The nation we live in. We see a broader context. The world we live in. But we see a context. Well, we believe in... Did I lose a piece of paper? Is it me tripping? All right, well, it's in my heart. I think. Okay, here it is. Somehow the wind blew it under all these sheets. We believe that not only is there a context, but we believe we need, personally, everyone in here, may need a renewed sense of calling. Calling is that internal divine pull that cuts through your feelings, cuts through scenarios and circumstances, and you sense it's something you have to do stronger than just something you just choose to do. When you choose to do something, you can choose not to do it. When you get a sense of calling, it's something that God does in you that gives you a sense of not only do I want to do it or not only do I believe I should do it, but I feel like I can't do anything else. We need that sense. We need that sense. We said calling based on the book of i mean the, the story of Gideon in the book of judges often it starts as an act of divine initiative meaning you're not like in class ooh 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 pick me god nobody just says ooh pick me god and send me it's always in response to god initiating you need to buy into that as a doctrine because we're in a day where people think they choose god we're in a, we're trying to say that the scripture's always shows you that god beat you to the punch if you choose god it's because he came to you. Gideon, we see it says that based on the context of the first ten verses which said everything was screwed up, it says now the angel of the Lord came to you to Gideon. So we believe in a divine initi- initiative. We also believe that it often comes in the form of a divine interruption. It says the angel of the Lord came to Gideon while he was doing something, while he was just threshing wheat. That's a normal, regular, run-of-the-mill thing. You Well, the Lord came to me while I was at work. The Lord came to me while I was clubbing. The Lord came to me while I was with my man. The Lord came to me while I was with my girl. The Lord came to me while I was just, like whatever while you were, cause often intrude on your life. They're an interruption into what you were doing. Gideon got interrupted in what he was doing, and God was summonsing him off the peripheral, summonsing him off the bench and saying, I'm calling you to be on mission with me. The Lord came. The Lord came wild. And it's based on divine intention. It's not based on the current situation. He says, the Lord's with you, mighty man of valor. Well, as soon as he said that. Gideon begins to display he's not that mighty right now, and he doesn't have much valor. So basically, God was looking and calling him based on what God intended him to be, not necessarily what he was today. That's good news, because God is calling us a whole lot of stuff today that sometimes when you look at us, we don't look like it. God's calling us sanctified. God's calling us glorified. God's calling us justified. And often when you look at us, we look like none of the above. So that's good news. Calling, a renewed sense. People who live, who move, who adjust their lives based on this renewed sense of calling. We looked at a renewed sense of commissioning because Gideon threw a whole bunch of, but, but I don't, but I'm not, but I can't. And he didn't say, well, why do you think that, Gideon? Well, let's talk about it. Well, you need better esteem. You need to just trust in yourself. He didn't say any of that. He said, go, go. God cuts through all the excuses. God cuts through all the but I, but I don't, but I am, but I'm not. And God says, go. That's the commissioning. That's the sending. A renewed sense. You've been sent. You're not just called, but you're sent. A new sense of God's commitment. Because the moment you start talking about, okay, I'll go, the question on the floor is, but what's to say I'm going to succeed? God says, my commitment to you is the guarantee that you're going to succeed. Epiphany Fellowship needs to buy into the fact that we're never getting into the game to win it. We're getting into the game because it's been won. We talked about that. All the scrubs or the not-so-good people come in the game when the game is not on the line. If you're being called in because the game's on the line, you're probably not that good. And that's the case with Jesus Christ. He, he's seated on, in heavenly places, and then we're in the game because victory's already won. So we said God's commitment to us. God showed that in three ways in this context. God was kind to him, kind enough to wait around while he scurried up an offering for God. God didn't need an offering. He's gonna make God lamb and some broth. God's not hungry, you know, but God sits there and waits for him to concoct the whole meal, and God's just showing him. See, I gotta let you know that I don't just give you an assignment and say, now scram, do it, but I get involved with the people that I pull on mission for me. You need that. You need to know. God is not just a bully. God is an intimate friend, showed it through his kindness, blew his mind with power. God could have received the offering any way he wanted, but he puts his staff in the broth, puts his staff in the meal. It goes up in smoke and vanishes. God was just showing him, not only am I kind, but I'm powerful. You don't just want a nice God, you want a powerful God who can do something. God, come and be nice to me. No, I'm in trouble. I need you to come and flex muscle for me. God says, I got that too. Also, he's intimate. He said, Oh no, that's the angel of the Lord, which is a pre incarnate Jesus Christ, which is God. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to die. Nobody can see God face to face and live. God says, no, you're not going to die. (laughs) You see me face to face because I'm intimate. You need to know that the God who calls you on the mission is not just a power up there who zaps and wheels bolts of lightning, but he is a personal God who interrupts your life when you weren't asking for it. All power in his hand, kind, good, able to entertain even your fears and your frustrations and says, go represent me. I'm with you. This is what we talked about last week. And so today we pick up. We titled this Mission Possible. Mission Possible. It's not an original. A couple people have used that. I used to have a t-shirt that said Mission Possible. So one of them Christian joints, you know. Um, But I think it fits this because you need to know that it's possible. It's not possible because it rests on you. It's possible because of him. So today we want to get into the latter half of this Gideon account. Come with me. Now, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, dude that we greatly resp- uh, respect because of his time in the field, he has a great quote. It says this. He talks about the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God. He says the wisdom of God is basically his ability to, quote, devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. We'll unpack that. Wisdom sees everything in focus each in proper relation to all and is thus able to work toward predestined goals with flawless precision. All God's acts are done in perfect wisdom, first for his own glory and then for the highest good of the greatest number for the longest time. So Tozer says, God is so wise, he sees everything how it all works together and in one blow can make sure that he does the dopest thing you could do so that he gets the maximum glory and everything else is like falls so perfectly in place. Nobody can say, ah, but did you think of this? Dang, hey, that's a great idea. God never listens to us and says, well, you know, I didn't think of that. So that's the wisdom, right? So whenever God does any one thing, he's doing one thing in light of his plans for everything. Now, I only start with that because one thing we see in the book of Judges, in this account with Gideon, is that when God does what He does, and when God does what He does in your life and in my life, He's doing it in light of His own glory and everything that He has planned throughout the ages. So, I like the fact we're going to see God single-handedly cover a number of bases And that's why you and I can rest and grow comforted in the fact that the mission is possible because the all wise God is the one who's doing it. First thing, God is not just going to do something through you. You think mission, you think God's going to use me. He's going to do something through me. But God at the same time is going to do something to you. Because whenever God calls us, we're never all that He wants us to be at that moment. So God both is making us something while He's using us to do something, accomplish something. We don't necessarily like that. We want God to cut to the chase. Get me to the end. Get me to where you told me you're going to be. God doesn't do that. He usually takes us through the scenic route where He can make us at the same time as use us. So we're going to look at that. If you buy in, Mission Impossible used to say, should you accept this mission? Well, should you buy into the fact that your whole life was designed to be on mission with Jesus Right. If you're saved. If you're not saved, listen in. But if you are saved, you are a missionary. Disguised as a teacher. Disguised as a paramedic. Disguised as a bad clerk. Disguised as a busboy. Disguised as a construction worker. Whatever your disguise is, you're a missionary. That means the rules of mission apply to you. Now, when you whip out your checkbook and start, yeah, man, they need this money. Guess what? You need money, right? Uh, They need to go, and I hope that they help people. You need to help people. And they need to just fly to some place and settle down and blend in with the people. You need to move someplace, settle down, and blend in with the people. All the missionary rules apply to us. Well, if you buy into that, there are three things I want to talk about from the rest of Gideon today. And that is, one, God will stretch you for your growth. One, God will stretch you for your growth. God will strip you for his glory. God will strip you for his glory. But God will strengthen you for the goal. God will strengthen you for the goal. Let's look at it. We're going to just start reading. Verse 25. That night, that night, this is after all the stuff we talked about in Gideon. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull. That's crazy, right? Take your father's bull. That's a real bull. Hey, y'all kind of tough crowd this morning. What am I saying? Y'all a tough crowd every week. Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. And cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Stop. God will stretch you for your growth. God will stretch you for your growth. First of all, one of the things we know that when God decides to stretch us, it's because this is a time of preparation or he's preparing us. Stretching is something you do to prepare for what's to come. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, I went to a retreat and I didn't stretch. Now, I mean, I did a, a quick little preliminary stretch, you know, just a, I, I, I did. A, I mean, it was a quick, but I thought I was chill. Lo and behold, I pull a hamstring, because, and everybody was joking, saying they were my age, you know what I'm saying? But I said, it's not my age, I just didn't stretch. I just didn't prepare myself to be able to handle the kind of exertion I was about to give out. Well, the mission is impossible, but it's possible for us. And so God must prepare us. So he has to do things that are a precursor to what he's ultimately going to do. The beautiful thing about God is he doesn't throw you to the lions first. He may throw you to the kittens, but because he's merciful like that, unless you're Daniel. But nevertheless... God often in his mercy prepares you for what he's going to do, but he stretches you, which is basically to give you stuff that's still beyond you, but it's not too far fetched because it's a precursor to what he's ultimately going to do. I like what the way we see here. This is not easy for Gideon. He's already told you I'm the least in my father's house. He's already told you my father's crib. The house is not even that big in the clan of Manasseh. So when you look at him, for him to have to address his own father's house, you're looking at a dude who the text says was already afraid. So this is no easy task for God to send him immediately that night and send him to his father's house to turn things upside down. But God does that to us. He stretches us because he wants to grow us. What he wanted to do is says, I can't send you, Gideon, on mission to deal with national unfaithfulness if, A, I can't get you to display personal faithfulness. I can't send you to deal with the nation of Israel if I can't even send you to your pop's house. I can't send you to face the kings that are coming against Israel if I can't send you to your own community. Some people want to be pastors, want to be teachers, want to be this. I want to put out albums. I want to whatever you want to do. You have to be faithful in the smaller things. And God uses those seasons as prep work, prep work. He's going to deal with Gideon's lack of faithfulness or get him to display faithfulness by asking him to deal with the unfaithfulness that's right in his midst. As it says here that he had to cut down the Asherah pole and the, the idol to Baal. All of us as Christians, there are things that God's going to send us to uproot. There's going to be things that God sends us to replant. The issue for him was his name. God is about his name. We're going to see that as we go on. And so he's looking, and I like this, when God stretches you, he usually is pushing you in directions that confront your ability to be faithful regardless of the consequences. He He sends us as prep work, little teeny acts of faithfulness, little teeny acts, little teeny tests. It's to prepare us. You see this all through scripture. This is a biblical uh, paradigm where God tells you you're something at the beginning of your life. Joseph, 17 years old, talking about dreams of sheaves bowing down to him. The sun, the moon, and the stars. Apparently, you're called to be a leader, Joseph. But he ends up in a pit. He ends up in a pit. He goes from a pit to getting a little bit of leadership in Potiphar's. He goes from Potiphar's to a prison. But everywhere he goes, he gets a little bit of leadership under his belt. Because even in the prison, he sort of got a low position in prison. This is God's MO. To give you a foretaste of what's ultimate. And you can sleep and pout and huff and puff till you get your big break. But what God is looking for is minor, small, little, stretchy type exercises where you exercise the principles that will be needed on a larger scale, which is faithfulness. He looks at him and says, deal with the unfaithfulness. Tear down the altar. This is both going to address the unfaithfulness on a smaller scale and your fear on a smaller scale. Because you're going to have to do something you're afraid of. But not only are you going to see that not only does God prepare us when he stretches us, but he preserves us when he stretches us. Look at verse uh, 28. It says, when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down. The Asherah beside it was cut down. The second bull was also... Offered on the, uh, the altar and had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he's broke down. he broke down his altar. God preserved him. Listen, it's his father's Asherah pole. It's his father's monument to Baal. All of a sudden during this time, this little act of faithfulness has already transformed even his pops. His pops all of a sudden standing up and saying, and God used him to preserve him. He was ready to die. Gideon knew that, which is why he was afraid. Gideon knew that, and that's why some of us are hesitant to obey God in small things because of the consequences. God is saying, wait a minute. I not only am using this as prep work, I will preserve you. We go back to when we told our brother, go turn yourself in. We told him, we said, turn yourself in and leave the consequences to God. Let God know I'm obeying you because you can preserve me. Now, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you leave the the caveat, but God may not do what I wish he'd do. But I'm going to still not bow down to the convenient disobediences that are often available. All we're saying is ultimately, God does this to boost our faith and to utilize our faithfulness because we're called on mission. Mission is for more than you, it's for others. Already, his family has been radically impacted by it. Before, he had no name. I'm the least in my family. Who am I? Am I more like it? No. Who am I? <laughs> now, the dude, everybody knows who he is Gideon, Joash's son. And he got a new name, Jerob, Let him contend with him. Now the dude got a a stage name. Ain't you the dude that let Baal contend with you? Now Baal never contends with him because Baal is nobody. But it just goes to show you already God. Remember, wisdom. In one test... God has not only boosted Gideon's confidence by preserving him when he obeyed, has not only addressed and overturned deep-rooted unfaithfulness on a smaller level, he's dealt with the fact that Gideon feels like a no-name. And he's now on everybody's lips, and he has a little name, a, little, a new nickname. Look, woo! God is, uh, like, this is the God that's saying, look, I got you. I got you. <laughs> This is what we're talking about. When God's, I always go back to me. I'm sitting here. I was a blunt head. And I'm sitting in Virginia saying, I know I shouldn't be here. My father had modeled poverty for Christ to me. So I used to be afraid to be like him because I felt I would be poor like him. But when God began to really, mm, I began to envision God, if you'll just do something in me to not mind low-key living, I'll do it. Yo, I never, ever, I didn't think I'd ever have matching towel and washcloth. My wife would tell you, I was like, Mish, I'm praying that God will start allowing the washcloths and towels to match since I'm getting married. Oh, there she is. Remember? Because I was used to the cloth was brown and the towel was striped. Red and blue. I mean, can I, thank you. What am my amen at? I used to be like, but I'm getting married now. God just stepping up a notch. Not for me. I mean, I'm used to you dealing with me all crusty, but I'm getting married now. Literally, I prayed like that. I never thought I'd own a house. I never thought I'd pay a car note. I'm telling y'all this because I was ready to just be a nobody. And then all of a sudden, a little bit of love here and a little bit of love there. A little bit of radical. We're going to preach Jesus when they'll laugh at you. See, now it's kind of cold. When we started it, everybody told us you're crazy. Gideon, are you crazy? Uprooting the Asherah. Are you crazy? Tearing down the altar of Baal, God preserved them. Not only does God prepare us during this time of stretching, not only does he preserve us during that time, because as you stretch. Now, a good trainer knows how to not tear your ligaments. (laughs) A good trainer knows how to stretch you, take you beyond where you are, but not tear your ligaments. I can't put it no sin, plainer than that. But God is patient with us during this time of stretching. The next pericope talks about Gideon doing something everybody's probably heard of, putting out a fleece. Look. Verse 36, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so when he arose early next morning and squeezed the fleece. He wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just one, once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there, there was dew. God not only is pers- pre- preserving us, but he's patient with us. Now, God comes to Gideon, first of all, Gideon to ask, and God says, I'm with you, go. You're going to be successful. Gideon said, I don't believe it. Go. Am I not sending you? Ah, I'm still struggling. If I found favor and you're going to do this, let me go. Wait here till I get back. I'll be here till you get back. Oh, you're here. Here's my offering. Woof. Oh, man, power. Whoa, it's the angel of the Lord. Yes, go. All right. All right. And this is what you're going to do as for starters. Go tear down the altar. I got you with the consequences. He does it. Gideon sees that he's successful. Then what does Gideon say? Oh, I missed something. Go to verse thirty three. Verse thirty three of chapter six. Now all the Midianites, that's the enemies, and the Amalekites, that's the enemies, and the people of the east, that's the enemies, came together. And they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. So now we got a dude who's gotten several confirmations that God's with him. Then the text says that the spirit of the Lord clothed them, And he's still like, all right, now if you're going to save them by my hand, wait a minute. I mean, how many times do I have to say I'm going to do it and I'm going to save them by your hand? God is patient with us. God, if you just, and he does it, yeah, but God, if you just, yeah, but, uh, all right, but if you really going to, all right, all right, I tell you what, one more thing. God is patient with us. You want me to move, God? You want me to do, God? You want me to give, God? You want me to, all right, well, if you, God is patient. Spirit filled, still insecure. Seen miraculous acts, still insecure. God is patient. He preserves us. He's patient with us. He prepares us. He prepares us. And I like this because as if God is going to be patient with us as we grow. Like that's what we need today. And growth is needed. Growth is necessary. And I'm looking at this passage and I'm saying If we think about mission, it's always to something that we'd rather not do. So God has to beef up our confidence that it's not us on our own. You need to know that God is patient while you work through responding properly to his invitation. We preach God as the main character of this. Not only is he stretch us for our growth, but God strips us for his glory. Let's read. Chapter 7. Then Jarabael, that is Gideon, new name. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man, to his own home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. God will strip you for his glory. One of the things we don't like about God is he's known to disadvantage his people, and we can't get it. God is about his glory. That song we sang earlier, Crucified. It says, you took the fall and thought of me above all. That's because that's the kind of age. I'm not dissing the song, banging song. However, we plugged in for your glory above all because the Bible says that he didn't think about us above all. He took the fall for his glory above all. So one of the things that we, like, you'll be a different kind of Christian when the glory of God trumps you. The day the glory of God trumps you, you'll talk like people. I like the way the Lord Jesus did this, right? The Lord Jesus looked at a blind man. people said, yo, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, not neither. This man was born blind because God likes a backdrop to show off his glory. God likes to be able to do this so then he gives him sight when he was on a scheduled time. Uh, Jesus, The Bible says that Lazarus, whom Jesus loved, was sick. And Jesus says, yo, we're going to wait around and let it get worse. We're going to let Lazarus get worse. He's actually going to die. See, most people think if God is good, then he won't let nothing happen to me. But God says, but... I'm good, but one of the things that I'm a stickler for is glory. (laughs) And because I'm a stickler for glory, I like to inconvenience you so I can show up and blow your mind and blow surrounding spectators' mind with how I get glory. Now, at the end, you respond properly to me. At the end, you're going to find out that it's for your benefit. But it's always first for my glory. So here in the story of Gideon, mission has to submit to the glory of God. Now, it's speculated that the Midianites, Amalekites, and the people from the east numbered about 100,000. So I don't mind God sending me up 100,000 to my 32,000, which is what Gideon had. 32,000 people. God says that's too many, but it still seems like he could get glory for himself, 32 to 100,000. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but that's still like, oh, we got y'all, though. We only had 32,000, though. Y'all had 100,000. Oh, whatever, man. Come on. Like, but God said that's too many. So he's let 22,000 people go home. So now you're like, oh, come on, Lord. 10,000 against 100,000. We just got a tithe. That's what I'm saying. But if you say we can do it, we can do it. God says, This is too much. Don't like, God didn't say, Nah, I want to do it differently. He said, This is too much. Think about that. It's not just, I want to do it differently, it's too much. If you're 10,000 to 100,000, something will still register in your heart. It was me. This just goes to show you how prone we are to get it twisted. And we live in an age, if so-and-so got saved, then. If we only would have, then. Man, if the world would just see that, then. Don't say that. Don't be one of those dudes that think we'd win more souls if Jay-Z got saved. God says, see. I've got to strip people to nothing in order to get the glory. I've got to put you in a position where nothing in you will say it's because of me. This is God's steeze. We proclaim it in the context of Gideon, but it's all through the Bible. Ephesians 2.9 says that salvation is not of works, is not of your doing, so that you won't boast. 2 Corinthians 4, 9 says, But we got this treasure, this light that's in us, is glory, we, but God housed it in the crustiness of who I am, these earthen vessels, so that it would, look, it says, to show, like you could say, now I'm, no, but praise God, the glory doesn't go to me. God says, "What I do it so you don't have to say that to show that the glory or the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. See, we don't like that. God, let me just point up to you. Like, uh uh-uh. I did it in such a way that you didn't have to point up. They said, it wasn't you, though. It wasn't you. It was God. Don't you hate when people, like, remind you that it's God when you already believe that? Man, yeah, man, but the Lord was good, man. Because we, did, But it was God, brother. It was God. Like, I know that. Like, let me say that too. <laughs> like, I was going to say that. Don't try to act like you had to put me d with the glory of God. 2 <laughs> Corinthians 12, 9 to 2, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. He said, I asked God, get rid of this thing that handicaps me. Get rid of the stripping. Like, let me get back to 100. Like, I'm going to give you the glory just like God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect, which just means it showed off to be perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, so I've become a believer of this doctrine. I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I boasted the fact we're nobody on billboard. I boasted the fact we're nobody in people's eyes. I boasted the fact I'm nobody in my job. I'm nobody in my family. I boasted the fact we have a, 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 a crusty building in a crusty area. I boasted the fact that God didn't like all the stuff that you wish God would improve in your life. Paul says, I started like getting an Now, it's not like I want to be like this, but when I ask God and it becomes obvious he prefers to do it in my weakness, then I start boasting in those weaknesses because that's when his glory is shown off all the more. I like the way it happened in Acts with the lame beggar at Gate Beautiful. Peter and John said, look, it's what we don't have. Let me start with what I don't have. See, that's the, all right, armies, we're about to fight y'all, but let me just tell y'all what we don't have. An army. (laughs) It's just silver and gold. I like it. The Bible says that the beggar looked, hoping to receive something. And Peter and John said, listen, silver and gold have we not. But what we have, we're about to unleash. Now, when we give you what we got, you'll see, it's not us. Get up, walk. The Bible says that he springs up, hits the jaw, <laughs> skipping around, doing the running man, right? The Bible says that people looked at him. Of course, I'm, I'm sure they start to look at Peter and them like, verse 11 says this, of chapter 3. It says, while he clung to Peter and John, like, these, the, these dudes are killing it. It says, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together. I guess I can stop doing that, right? To them in the portico... And when Peter saw it, he said, oh, wait, don't get it twisted. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, the glory. Remember, he strips you for his glory. God is making sure that Jesus gets glory, whom you delivered over and denied. So he goes on. Like, God does this. What don't you have today, Epiphany, that you're feverishly praying for because you think that's the secret to your success? Who don't you have that you're praying about because you think that's the key? That's the ticket. We're not where we want to be because we just need. What limitations seem to be holding you back? The Bible documents this time and time again because God doesn't take the road of affluence often or the smartest or the this is or the that's is because he wants glory. The Lord Jesus is a perfect example of this. Aren't you glad we don't have a God who he tells us one thing but like He's the exception to the rule. Y'all, like, oh man, y'all need to, I need to learn how to do without sometimes. As he's, like, they bringing him grapes and he's chilling in the palace. Something, something. Just tell him, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Pass the lamb. You know what I mean? Like, the Lord Jesus modeled first rate that God prefers that which doesn't compete with the glory. Born in Bethlehem instead of Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus. King of kings and Lord of Lords that he didn't get born in a royal family. He could have came through a royal line like the recognized royal line. He did come through the royal line of David, but that wasn't recognized. Came and he didn't select from the Pharisees and the scribes. You, 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 you. I need all the top not theologians of the day. The Bible says he took ordinary fishermen. You don't change the world with fishermen. We're Hebrews, man. We got scholars. We have scribes, we have a Sanhedrin, 70 beastie cats that know the scriptures back and forth. Excuse me. Let me get you a tax collector. Nobody even like you. Peter, oh, this dude got a mouth on him. Where the sons of thunder right? Always sons of thunder. You know them. They rock ruckus. Just chooses. y'all. that's why you can believe that he'll choose you. And I think it's possible to beef up your arsenal to the point where God has to use somebody else because you got too much. God prepares us. He stretches us so that we grow, preparing us and preserving us and being patient with us. But he strips us for his glory. People want to know what was going on here. Why? Like. Like there's a lot of speculation about the kneeling and the lapping and the all we know is God had to find a way to dwindle the crowd. What all of that means? Some people say, well, they were one group wasn't as watchful and some other group was watchful and one group was afraid. And so he could send them home. God just has a number of ways of dwindling us. The question is, will you embrace God's dwindling for his glory or will you cheat to get? What God seems to be slack in providing. What were we just watching? Oh, yeah. Curse of the golden flower. Dude was corrupt as all get out. But he told his son, never take by force that which I don't give. And dude, of course, tried to take it by force and wound up dead. However, let that be a lesson to us. If God doesn't give it, it's because he plans on getting glory without it. Lastly, as we close, God will strengthen you for the goal. Because it's one thing for God to stretch you and have you in a state of, oh, I don't know what he's going to do here. I don't know. It's another thing for God to strip you and have you feeling all like, hey, he got me as nothing but to him be the glory. But at the end of the day, we need strength to go out to these streets. We need strength to go into a secular workplace. We need strength to walk through life without the companionship we want. We need God to strengthen us. And we see through this whole piece that God is dealing with Gideon's lack of being, who he called him, the mighty man of valor. Gideon, of course, clearly fearful the whole time, clearly needing multiple uh, evidences that God is with him, just like you and I. But God strengthens him at the end. Look. Look. Verse 9 of chapter 7. That night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. Excuse me. And you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go up against the camp. Then he went down to Pura. Uh, with uh, Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And the camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent, and struck it so that it fell, and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and Gideon. God will strengthen you for the goal. God is not stretching you because the name of the game is stretches. This is not Pilates. God is not stretching you just because he wants to keep you limber in the faith. God is stretching you because he's called you to a mission, a mission that's possible. God is always at work because he's working toward a goal, his, his goal. God is not. He strips you because when God arrives at his goal, he wants the glory. But he does strengthen us. He's a merciful God. Like this is what we're trying to tell you, that the Lord Jesus is not an evil taskmaster, that he understands human frailty. He understands humanity. He knows. So look at in that patience we see. God says, all right, go. And he strengthens him through a divine word. That's his own word. But then he says, but you may need to hear from somebody else, a human word. And that's the two ways God is going to strengthen us for mission. It may be in the privacy of your own Bible study. It may be in the privacy of your own ciphers with other believers where you'll hear God clearly encourage you in the way you should go. The Bible, that ought to be sufficient. But some of us, in addition to that, Lord willing, not instead of that, Need to also hear somebody say, yo, man, the Lord, I believe he's with you. Let me tell you why. Boom, boom, boom. And you get that extra boost. Well, Gideon goes down and he creeps and he sees and God has rigged it. It almost seems like too good to be true. I know when you read it, you were like, come on, man. You ever see like somebody write a script where it's too obvious? Hey, there is a thief on the roof. Come, we need to get away by going through the fire escape downstairs. You'd be like, come on, he didn't really say that in the heat of the moment. Well, Gideon goes down and says, let me go see what God wants me to hear in order to be strengthened. You know, I had a dream that a piece of barley cake knocked our tent down. Now, first of all, barley is a little crusty poor man's bread. So once again, God's consistent with his theme. If I told you I use the weak stuff, I use the thing that you know, everybody would sleep on. See, he's consistent, right? But let me tell you what the interpretation of the dream is. Yo, this is that dude named Gideon. First of all, how do Amalekites and No, Gideon, he's the least in his family and the family is the smallest in the clan. This is that dude, Gideon. The Lord has given us into his hand. <laughs> Whatever it takes to strengthen you, God knows how to do it, no matter how outlandish it seems. Says now when he hears this, not like God hasn't said it before, he goes back and he infects the whole crew with his new confidence. Arise, the Lord has given this into our hands. Sooner or later, you got to leave this building and say, God has given me something. And the something he's given you isn't a new car, something that you're going to go in is for you. Oh no, I'm going to bless people, Lord. That's not the like, we don't have stories in the Bible about people just enjoying personal blessings that they leverage for people. You don't need a whole story in the Bible for that. It happens. Oh, God gave them a kid. But the big deal about God giving them kids is because people thought this is the means by which the Messiah is going to come. It's not just any random person who just wanted a kid because they wanted a kid. Like Pastor E saying, him and Yvette are not just excited because they want a tax write-off. Oh, man, we got another. Yep, that's more on the earned income credit. They're happy they got a child because he wants godly seed because that's another disciple that can broadcast the glory of God. I'm glad that you have given me strength and you told me I got victory, God, not because I just don't want to fail, though I just don't want to fail. But because you, this is your way of telling me, come, join a winning team. At the end of the day, what is it going to take to encourage us? What is it going to take to encourage us to change the way we leave this facility? To sign up for something that clearly will be difficult, but the mission is possible. To sign up for something that is clearly inconvenient. To embrace a scenario where you're not working with a full deck. Where you, y'all know what I mean. Where you're not all that you wish you were and you don't have all you wish you had and you not. This is the way he works. It is the way of the cross. How does Jesus get glory ultimately? By not enjoying all the stuff. By not saving his life but losing his life. Jesus just cleanse us. Just speak cleansing. He didn't. He comes there. Just come. A full grown man. Cross your arms and die quietly in the cut. No. I'm going to come and I'm going to learn obedience through the things I'll suffer. Process. I'm going to endure a process. I'm going to let God stretch me. I'm going to do incrementally. I'm I'm not gonna come with my own power. I'm gonna lean on the spirit just like you. I'm not gonna do and blink places. I'm gonna walk and get tired and sit down and sit at a well and talk to somebody. I'm not gonna just do, 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 do. for some reason I believe you're the Messiah. No, I'm gonna reason with them. Even Jesus didn't take instantaneous shorts. Cuts and just gallop around on chariots. Be healed. All right, keep going. You too. Arise. Like all we're telling you is, this is Bible. This is Christianity. Brace. Gear up. Run toward this, knowing that this is how God has always operated. Climaxing in Jesus Christ showing us he had to get a fish who had the money to pay his taxes. You would think he'd just slipping a hand in his pocket and put po- two part series. I just wanted us to be missional, buy into it, buy into a context and give yourself to it context is not just i just i just go where i like to go i like i go where the sales are and i just go i like to go and all my friends hang out here we're trying to produce christians who don't who think higher than that who think like jesus this is a job for it who suit up in missional like the bible says in the spirit of god clothed gideon (laughs) who jump in the spirit of god suit you don't have to jump in because he's in you if you're in christ And you reposition yourself and say, now this place, they're facing something where they need a divine solution. We are the conduits that God uses to apply divine solution to crusty situations. God comes and gets us. We don't come to him. God interrupts what we're doing so you can't say, but I was just. And God does it based on a divine intention. I am with you. You will save them. Oh, if you all can do that, if you all can think, if you all can team up with people, who else is on mission? I used to just hang with people who like to hang. Who's on mission? Because you'll know what it's like to be stripped and not be mad about it, but say, God, you must want to get glory without it. And who are the people who go to his word for a divine word of encouragement and who get around other people who know how to speak from a divine reference point in order to be encouraged? our heads.